Good evening, and welcome to those of you that are joining us on Facebook Live. We find ourselves tonight in the verse that almost everybody knows, and it's not John 3.16. (laughs) So follow along as I read Romans 8.28. says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your love, for your care, for the things that you have done, for the things that you are doing, and we look forward to the finished work when Jesus comes back. In the meantime, we thank you for an opportunity to sit under the teaching of your word, pray that your spirit would have his way in our hearts, that we would learn the things that we need to learn here, and Father, that uh, as we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ, that you would give us wisdom to live according to the faith that you've given us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. The guarantee of glory. As I said this morning, excuse me, um, biblically, theologically, not talking about how a person feels, especially if there's still unresolved sin in their life and things like that, but biblically and theologically, Uh, The idea of losing your salvation is absolutely ridiculous, okay? Uh, And and we'll talk about it a little bit here, but as we look at Romans 8.28, we are talking about the guarantee of glory. So let's, uh, first of all, look at uh, the first part there. It's certainty. Considering chapter 8, here's basically what we've covered thus far. In verses 1 to 4, we covered life in the Spirit, part 1 free from sin and death, and able to fulfill the law. In Life in the Spirit, part 2, verses 5 to 13, the Spirit changes our nature and empowers us for victory. Now, this is really where uh, the issue comes in for the people that, can, uh, that believe you can lose your salvation. If there is no change of nature, somewhere in the rush, the spiritual is not going to be desirable anymore. And people are going to leave. And they left us to prove that they were not one of us, because if they were of us, they certainly would have remained, 1 John 2.19. But if the Spirit doesn't change your nature, because you're not saved, you may be able to act it out for a little while, but ultimately probably not going to stay. And even those uh, that stay, ultimately, what's going to happen at the rapture? Are they going? No, at that point, they're really staying, okay? Uh, And I don't know if you've noticed it, but I I think Pastor has emphasized maybe just a little bit more, uh, not saying that he didn't do it in the past, but uh, it seems to be more prevalent in my mind as I'm hearing him. Uh, the need that, hey, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, what is he doing that for in the midst of a church? Because wherever the wheat is planted, there are tares, okay? And so when we consider the tares, then ultimately we have to understand no change in nature, therefore no victory, no empowerment for victory, and uh, that's why they may have a problem. Letter C, Life in the Spirit, Part 3, verses 14 to 16. The Spirit confirms our adoption. 
And again, whether you're talking about the Jewish adoption or the Roman adoption, adoption meant you became one of the children and you had all the rights and privileges. So we're not talking about a foster kid. We're talking about someone that has become part of the family. And then letter D, verses 17 and through 18, the Holy Spirit and our guaranteed glory. The glorification ultimately in the end. And then verses 19 through 27, groaning for glory. So when we come to verse 28a, we see, and we know. This is an absolute certainty of eternal security in the Holy Spirit. Paul is not expressing personal feelings or opinions. You know, we know that those Democrats are all a bunch of Nazis. That's a personal opinion, okay? Um, Paul's not expressing it in that fashion. He is stating certainties, certain facts. Uh, So notice uh, Paul is not speaking of one's personal feelings. Under the inspiration of the Spirit, he is setting forth inerrant truth. That's truth that there is no error in, okay? Uh, The words, and we know, carries the meaning of can know. Uh, In other words, you may not understand it when you're initially saved, but ultimately the more you walk with the Lord, the more it is going to prove to be true in your life and you'll understand it. So the truth of eternal security is clearly revealed by God. God guarantees the believer's eternal security. Any denial is to conclude that somehow we cooperate in the salvation effort. And the idea of us uh, cooperating in the uh, salvation effort is called synergism in Christian theology. Synergism is the position of those who hold that salvation involves some form of cooperation between divine grace and human freedom. Uh, A lot of people like that whole free will thing. And uh, as we've tried to point out, it's not that you don't have uh, a choice to make. It is the idea that if you're spiritually dead, then what is truth to you? It is God that opens the eyes to see spiritual truth. It is God that gives what is necessary so that a person can be made alive by him. And so uh, God is the one that does everything. Does a man make a decision to trust Christ? Sure he does. He chooses within the parameters that God gave him. When your eyes are opened, when you understand truth, you'll choose yes. No one's making you choose yes. You're going, oh man, I got to get a hold of this thing. But if your eyes are closed and you don't see a need, a problem, you will choose within the parameters that God gives you. So notice, uh, when we try and put divine grace and human freedom in uh, together, uh, God, of course, we're not going to say he's going to fail. He's not going to mess up and lose us in that salvation process. But there's always a chance that we might. I remember when we were down in Brazil, most of the missionaries that were involved in uh, SIL, Summer Institute of Linguistics, a branch of Wycliffe, Bible translators, the teachers that went down there, almost all of them went to churches that believed you could lose your salvation. And uh, the way they explained it, especially when you got to John chapter, is it 10, 29, and 30? Uh, my uh, 
My father knows the sheep, and, and they're in my hand, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. My father, who is greater than I, uh, they're in the palm of his hand. No one can pluck them out of his hand. Yeah, but you can jump. Uh, uh, wow, you know. But again, they were synergistic. They believed that they had something to do with that salvation. And uh, so therefore, security of the believer for them a uh, lady, uh, well, a person died in a car accident down there, and Bill Miller was telling me that he had gone to the funeral, and one of the ladies from the Sill campus, they were at that funeral, and it was a believer that was in their church. And they guess, they said, I, I guess you can never know. Never know what? And she somehow believed that this person having this accident and dying was not ready to die, even though they were part of their church and but again, they don't have any eternal security. Biblically, that isn't that one doesn't pass muster. Okay, so we know its extent, the guarantee of glory, its extent. Twenty-eight uh, B is limitless as it is in absolute, because God is the guarantor. It is God whom, Himself who brings about the good that this verse is talking about. It's not just happening. Things just aren't working out for the good. No, God is working those things out for the good. So uh, it requires divine action to happen. Um, think about uh, years ago. Now this is, uh, well, most of you are old. Well, the, the couple in the back aren't. <laughs> um, think about Nate Saint and uh, James Elliott down there with the Aka Indians. Uh, they had done everything that they could to uh, bring the gospel to a particular tribe. That tribe was known to be violent, and they decided finally they were going to go in. And so they land the plane on the beach, and before they could get much further than that, the Indians came out and killed them all. Now, there was two groups of Indians that day. One group came and killed them. The other group was coming out to meet them because they had dropped off gifts as they flew over and things like that. They, were, they had done all the things that were necessary so that they could have that first contact. And, uh, of course, Satan won that day, right? Well, no. It looked like it at the end of the day, but shortly thereafter, their wives showed up, and their wives ministered to those people and taught them about God, about the gospel, until men could grow up spiritually and take over the work, at which point the gospel spread throughout the Aka tribes. So uh, whole point being is things just happened? No, God works those things out, okay? Um, letter B, many think that God is impersonal with his approach to his people. I saved them. I gave them my word. I gave them my Holy Spirit. Now they just kind of need to figure it out. I have a friend like that over in St. Louis, and oh, wow, he's just, well, he's in a state of depression most of the time because he hasn't figured it out yet, <laughs> okay? Uh, but he believes that God wound up the clock and just kind of, okay, let's see if they can figure it out type thing. Notice God's decree of security is worked out by the direct, personal, and gracious work of his divine Son and the Holy Spirit. Let me read a couple of verses for you. Uh, Romans eight twenty six. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weaknesses because we uh, do not know 
what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the heart knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, we have the Spirit of God uh, praying to God the Father according to the will of God for us. We have the Son of God. Is he going to pray according to the will of God or according to the will of whatever? Obviously, according to the will of God. Do you think God the Father is going to be listening to the prayers of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, who are praying according to the will of God? And the answer, of course, is yes. And this is all part of God working out uh, things for good for us because it is part of his personal, direct, gracious work. Okay? Number two, that all things, we know that all things, the world, the word here all is comprehensive. There are no qualifiers. It means to the fullest possible extent. Now think with me for a minute. James 2. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, faith worketh patience. And at least for a period of time in our spiritual walk, every time a trial comes up, that verse might come to our mind. And we might sit there and say, oh, God, I need patience. And then we say, oh, I was only kidding. Because we know patience means trials. And and we don't want trials. Why? Because they're inconvenient. Uh, They they bring problems into our lives. And uh, how am I supposed to count that all joy? Until you start looking at those trials as God in his grace and his love for me is trying to create within me, if you will, recreate the image of Jesus Christ. And he's using those trials to cause my muscles, spiritual muscles to grow so that I can be under the pressure of those trials. Yeah, but how many times do I have to fail? God didn't know you were going to fail. God didn't know that ultimately he's working those muscles so that you won't fail. Been training with a guy downtown Belleville on Monday afternoons. And, you know, instead of lifting a lot of weight, he likes to pick a weight that's just going to make you hurt. (laughs) It's usually a light weight, and you're going to not do a complete movement. For example, if you're going to lift up on the side like this, you're not going to come back down here. You're going to go up. And come down to here. Oh, that means your shoulder's still hanging on to that weight. And then you're going to lift it back up. And then you're going to come back. Oh, stop. And not only that, but we're going to go slow. We're going to go fast up and we're going to slow down. By the time you're done with eight to ten repetitions, your shoulders are going, stop it. And then he says, now I want you to sit down. We're going to do the fronts of the shoulders. So now you're going to be lifting up like this. You're going to be tilted back a little bit. And you're going to come down to here. No relaxing. And you're going to come up and go slow down. And then when you're done with that, you're going to bend over and do the backs of the shoulders. And you're not going to come down to here. You're going to come down to here. (gasps) My shoulders hurt on Thursday. You know when it worked out? Monday. Why is God putting us through trials 
to develop those spiritual muscles so that we can act like Christ by the power of the Spirit when the real trials come. You might remember back in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's complaining to God about something, and he goes, hey, Jeremiah, these are only the foot soldiers. What are you going to do when the horsemen come, when the cavalry comes? This is hard enough, God. We don't need no cavalry. I mean, come on now. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, is we go through trials because God is developing something. And so in all things, he is at work. Uh, notice nothing can separate. Uh, the nothing is important to see because uh, if there was something that could separate, then the all wouldn't be uh, inclusive. Notice height or depth or any other created thing. Now, this is after a whole list of things. will have power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whole point being, we know that all things work together for the good. So it doesn't say that God prevents things that can harm us. It says all things work together for the good. Sometimes... The working together for the good is suffering. Sometimes it's martyrdom. Now, wait a minute. If I'm getting martyred, that's not working together for the good. Well, it depends on how you want to define good. If you want to define good as being able to stay here and maybe becoming a little bit more like Jesus, well, yeah, I can see where martyrdom wouldn't fulfill the purpose. But if you're going to really become like Jesus... You go into his presence and see him. Oh, see, we kind of have to redefine good from God's perspective. So all things uh, goes on. Notice this truth is revealed elsewhere. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 20 and 21, uh, or 21 and 22. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death uh, or things present or things to come, all are yours. Now, why on earth is Paul saying this? Well, they're getting all divided by, well, I like the way Paul preached. I like the way Apollos preached. I like the way Cephas preaches. Oh, well, I'm of Jesus. You know, I'm just all about Jesus. And it's coming, kind of like, no, no, no. This, this whole thing, ultimately, we are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It all belongs to him, which means it's all ours. Now, we got to work out the details between here and there, you know, but uh, all things are for us. How about 2 Corinthians 4.15? For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Or Romans 8.32, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything or all things? So uh, when we start to think the way God is thinking, we know that in all things, uh, they work together for the good. Now notice the truth of the negative is, uh, is used for good is also revealed in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, uh, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong." So all things, including the negative, they work together for the good. Uh, the word here, working together, is sunergeo, uh, to be a fellow worker, to cooperate, to help, to work with. Uh, this is where we get that word synergism. Synergism actually uh, means the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a, de- a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. I'll give you an example, uh, two organisms that are working together. In South America, you have, uh, of course, most of the people are Catholic. So you have the Catholic Church. And then you have another group, uh, they're communists. Now, uh, these two, if you understand Catholic doctrine and you look at communist doctrine, they go like this to each other. Oil and water, they don't mix. What they have done is they have melded the two together and come up with what they call liberation theology. Liberation, we're going to free people from uh, the guys that we don't like in the political realm. <laughs> okay? And we're going to become the guys that no one likes in the political realm. Wow. So that's taking two things that would have an effect by themselves, but by working together, they can have a greater effect. And over the years, of course, they have done that. So that's the idea of working together, where we get the word synergism. Notice the top of the next page. It's God's providential power and will that cause them to work for good. Uh, notice, he causes righteous things to work for our good. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Or 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Uh, God's wisdom provides for our good. Ephesians 1, 17, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The knowledge of Him. Hmm. How important is knowing God? God has granted to us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. So that's pretty important. And He's given us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might understand that. Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And that's obviously not the right verse. Uh, 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So again, we have that whole idea that he gives wisdom that provides for our good. He, uh, his goodness uh, his works of goodness are for our good. Romans 2, 4. Or do, you, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? 
Uh, I just happened to see a video either this morning or yesterday where the guy was saying, we don't need to preach about sin. We need to preach about God's goodness because it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. <sighs> What's that? Uh, yeah, exactly. I was kind of, I, it's, it's just amazing to me how people will take a part of a, a verse and they kind of miss the point that, okay, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans is to establish everyone's under sin so that they can understand that God in His goodness sent His Son to pay the wage of sin so that we might be made into new creatures. It's just absolutely amazing to me. Uh, God's faithfulness works for our good. Hosea 14.4, I will hear their, heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. Micah 7.8, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be the light to me. Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So God's uh, fa- a good, a faithfulness, Faithful works are for our good. How about his word is for our good? Acts twenty thirty two. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. First Timothy 4, 5. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. That's the idea of... Um, I believe praying before you eat while you're uh, in that uh, chapter. Uh, God's angels work for our good. Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister uh, for those who will inherit salvation? Uh, his children, God's children, minister for our good. Romans 1.12. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, we can't emphasize this enough. I recognize that we had COVID. We were asked to stay away for a little while. And, um, well, it's been, uh, what, two years? Yeah, a little bit more than two years. Um, if you're sitting at home and you're still worried about COVID, if you have co- uh, comorbidities, okay, kind of understand. But if it's just easier on you to sit at home and watch us, you're missing the idea of church. I had a lady come in uh, the other day for benevolence, and uh, do you go to church? Yes. Once a month or more. Okay, that's not bad for the opportunities that we have on our uh, application. What church do you go to? And she gives the name of it. What's the pastor's name? Is it T.D. Jakes? Okay. He, he's a false teacher. Okay, for those of you that are listening, if you like him, he's a false teacher. Just keep on listening to him, see what it does for you. Um, and I'm sitting there, where's this church? It's in Texas. Kind of like, so you're going to Texas once a month or more? No, no, I'm watching it online. That's not church. Church is an assembly of called out ones. That's what the word ecclesia means, which is translated church, which means we have to get together. Why? Let me read the verse again. That is that I, Paul, the apostle, may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. He's saying, we're going to get together so that we can talk about what God's done in our lives so we can encourage one another. Oh, notice he, I know he wasn't doing it over Zoom. 
okay? But he did send him a letter. Second <laughs> Corinthians one twenty four. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. And again, we're not ordering anybody come to church. We're saying, look, this is how we be, we're encouraged by you. You're encouraged by us because we're together. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So as children minister for our good, even evil things minister for our good. Daniel 6, 21 through 23, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they uh, have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. Two guys in the book of Daniel go read their testimonies in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 6. I'm wondering if we're not going to see him in heaven. And that's Nebuchadnezzar and Darius here, or Darius, or however you want to say his name. Uh, no, notice within the evil things, we have the evil of suffering. Ruth one twenty. But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Job one twenty one, And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked sh- uh, shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So the evil of suffering. How about the evil of temptation? First Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, again, we come back to the last two years. Are we trusting in Jesus? Or are we trusting in Dr. Fauci? Are we trusting in Jesus or are we trusting in uh, what the government is saying about how all this stuff works? And again, I'm not saying you can't do that, you can't do that. I'm just saying there's a lot of fear that they generated. And we do not have the spirit of fear but the spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. And then, of course, uh, the, uh, God uses the evil of sin. Uh, Romans 2, 1 through 3, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same that you will escape the judgment of God? How about Matthew 7, 1 and 2? Judge not that you be not judged, for with that what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, in both of those verses, it's not the issue of judging. It's the issue of judging unrighteously. And so that's sinful. And God's even going to use that to bring about good in our lives. Very often when we are quick to judge, uh, it allows us to go through some kind of a, a chastisement that, uh, you know, it's kind of like God's been awful gracious to me. I think I can show a little bit of mercy and grace to those around me. So God's providential power and will causes all of those things to work for our good. The word good here, during this present life, 
there is a temporal benefit. Uh, Israel, in Deuteronomy uh, 8, 15 through 16, it says, "...who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thir- uh, thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which our fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end." You might remember that uh, passage in, uh, I believe it's Jeremiah, where he says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. That in context might be in Ezekiel, but the false prophets have said, yeah, we're off in uh, Babylon here. We've been taken captive, but you know, God is going to come down here and, and he's going to gore them like a bull. They've got a set of horns in their hands and he, we're going to be back in the land dancing before you know it. And Jeremiah is sitting there saying, hey guys, marry, have kids, build a business, develop your family, okay? Because you're going to be here for a while. And that's part of God's good plan for you, okay? Uh, so those are the kinds of things that he did for Israel. How about for us? Uh, sanctification, First Peter 1.7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You might remember the parable of the sower and the soils. There's four types of soils, right? You've got uh, him spreading the seed. Uh, the good seed is the Word of God. And uh, the along the edge of the garden, there's a pathway where they probably stood to spread the seed. Okay, they've t- patted down that ground really good, and um, the seed can't get in the ground to germinate. So the birds come along and they take that seed. And then you uh, might have some rocks along the edge of the garden, and maybe some uh, thorns and thistles. Uh, in fact, if you go out here along the side of the garden, I actually got stuck in the mud Saturday trying to cut some of the weeds down that are right on the edge of the garden. Uh, but the the uh, soil is still softer, as I proved on Saturday morning <laughs> um, in the rain. But uh, the the seed germinates, life comes up, but then the, that life is choked out because of the other things. It has no root with the rocky soil and with the thorns and thistles. Uh, the weeds get the, all the good stuff and the plant gets nothing. And then there's that fourth soil where it brings forth uh, 40, 60, 100 fold. That's the only one that we know is good soil. Well, notice again uh, in First uh, Peter 1, 7, that the genuineness of your faith, okay, this is the real stuff here, it is more precious than gold. Why? Because gold perishes. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, those people that received the word with joy, but then that life was choked out of them, their faith didn't prove to be real. Now, some people think it was, and we'll let God be the uh, one that's concerned with that. But the reality is, is there's no fruit, so we don't know that they got it. There may have been uh, a momentary flicker, but no fruit. Ours, it's real. It will uh, 
help us grow. It'll prove itself to be real. And then notice in the life to come, eternal benefits. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So uh, everything, all the trials, all the difficulties, even evil things that happen in our life, God is working together for good There's a temporal benefit for it. There is also an eternal benefit uh, for those things also. So uh, what about the recipients? Who is God working all things together for good? Well, 28C, only believers. Now, let's understand, (coughs) excuse me, that God doesn't wait until you get saved and then start working in your life, okay? Okay. Things that happen even before you're saved is part of what he's using to bring you to that point of seeing your need, of seeing his provision. And so when I, when I look back growing up in foster homes and a stepfather that didn't like me and da-da-da-da-da-da, all those things brought me to a place where I was looking for love. Now, within my unsaved years, I was looking for that love in all the wrong places, as the old song goes. Okay, but it brought me to a place where I wanted to find that love that I didn't get as a kid. Poor me. Let's go shoot. Never mind. Uh, uh, But the whole point being is that's when he reveals himself to me so that I would come to know him. So, yeah, he was working even all of that stuff together for the good, even though I wasn't a believer at the time. Now, if he's working in someone's life before they're a believer, think with me. What does it say in Romans chapter 3? There is no one that seeks after God. If you meet someone that's seeking after God, it might be that the Spirit of God actually is working there, at which point you ought to be trying to share the gospel with them. Now, don't try and push it. Maybe they're not ready for it all, but do what you can, and then make sure you're living it so that they can see it in your life, see it's real. Uh, But that's the kind of thing that I'm saying. But notice he's dealing with believers in this passage. Notice it goes on to say, to those who love God. Now, there is a human perspective to the concept of loving God, and then there's a divine perspective uh, in this verse here. The divine perspective is to those who are the called. The human perspective to those who love God. How many of you love God here? Okay, that's the way we look at it. God looks at us saying, I called you. That's why you're here. <laughs> okay. Um, letter B, nothing more characterizes the believer than love for God. Now, there, there's a bunch of verses here, but let me bear with me as I read some of them here. First John 4, 7, Beloved, let us one an- uh, love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. And this is not a new concept in the Old Testament. Notice what God says about Israel. 
uh, Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, the Deut- uh, Deuteronomy or Exodus 34, 7, Deuteronomy 5, 10, Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 10, God repeats this concept over and over and over again uh, for Israel. How about the Gentiles in the Old Testament time? Isaiah 56, 6, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. So even in the Old Testament, uh, loving God could be something that Gentiles would do also. How about in the New Testament? Matthew twelve thirty. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. First Corinthians two nine. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the, into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. First uh, Corinthians 8.3, but if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Ephesians 6.24, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. James 1.12, I, I really have learned to appreciate James chapter 1, but verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has appro- been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Guess who the overcomers are? The ones who love him. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so this idea of loving God is throughout the whole of the Bible, and it is uh, from the human perspective. Letter C, we trust in the power of God for protection. Uh, Psalm 31, 23, O oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord, uh, Lord preserves the, un, the, the faithful and fully repays the proud person. See that? Love the Lord. Why? Because the Lord preserves the faithful. Uh, in letter D, uh, we are characterized by peace. Psalm 119, 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your will. Now, think about it. The person who's saying, wow, God, you've been really great to me. Are they agitated? Or are they resting in the fact that, wow, God's really taking care of me? Uh, how about uh, John fourteen twenty seven? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Uh, again, if you're, if you're uh, one of the people that watches uh, CNN, MSNBC, uh, some of those all uh, news stations, uh, you've got to be concerned about how bad those conservatives are, those Republicans and if you're watching TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and seeing all the conspiracy people, you got to be concerned about those evil Democrats and, and the World Economic Forum. God says, I've given you peace. The world can't give you this peace. Not only that, it can't take it away. Now, you can surrender it, okay? But uh, the world 
doesn't have control over this thing. How about uh, John 16, 33? These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts, right? And then we pray about something, and we're still nervous and anxious about it. <laughs> Did you let it go? Did you, are you really trusting Jesus or, you, okay, God, now I've told you what I want. So get on it, would you? See what I'm saying? Uh, here's, here's one for you. First Peter 3, 4 to 6. Now, it starts in verse 1. Women, you're supposed to submit to your husbands, you know, likewise, it says, which means it's referring to a previous passage. Later on, it says, likewise, you men... So everyone is supposed to be living in submission. But it says, when your husband doesn't obey the word, that he may be one without a word. Okay? So what are you supposed to do so that your husband will finally do the things he's supposed to do and you don't have to nag him? Well, it says, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. They go down into Egypt. Abraham's worried. My 65-year-old wife is beautiful. And these guys... Well, they're a bunch of no-good pagan heathen type people. They're going to kill me to get her. So let's just tell them you're my sister. I mean, you are my half-sister, so it's not as though we're lying. And she goes, okay. They get down there. Everybody sees this beautiful woman, and they come to Abraham and said, hey, who's that? Well, it's my sister. Uh, Pharaoh would like to buy her from you. Well, now we've planted the ruse. We've got to go with it. So he does. She's bought by Pharaoh, ends up in Pharaoh's harem. Now, I don't know about you, but as Sarah, I'm thinking, that dummy. When I get out of here, <laughs> you know, uh, but the Lord takes care of business. Do you think she's agitated? Think she's worried? I'm not saying that it doesn't cross her mind. But when you're trusting in the Lord, you can rest. Okay? So uh, God takes care of business. She gets out. Now, we're going to move up into the Philistine area. And, uh, hey, uh, honey, Abimelech there and all those people there are a bunch of pagan heathens. And so when we get in there, they're going to see how beautiful you are. Now, this is, you know, like 20 years later. She's now 85-ish. Okay, and she's still so beautiful. They're going to see how beautiful you are. They're going to kill me to get to you. So let's just tell them you're uh, my sister. At which point, the modern American Christian woman would be sitting there saying, oh, no, you don't, right? Because we're not going to trust in God. We're going to get this husband to man up and do what he's supposed to do. What did Sarah do? She got sold off into Abimelech's uh, harem. 
Now, I'm not saying that Sarah didn't say anything to Abraham, okay? What I'm saying is she trusted God. It goes on to say, whose hope was in the Lord, okay? Who also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husband, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with terror, whole point being is we're characterized by peace. Why? Because we're resting in who the Lord is and what He's doing. When we're characterized by agitation, by uh, bitterness and anger, are we trusting in the Lord? No. Okay? And I have to put that out there because most of the marriage counseling I do, uh, I'm not saying the man's not a dingbat, okay? He sold his wife into slavery, in essence, twice to some other man's harem. Hello? I'm not saying he's not a dingbat. I'm just saying if you're going to handle it the way the Scripture teaches, you're going to be characterized by peace. Your hope is going to be in God. You're going to be trusting Him. And God, can, I, can we just remember something? God does not work according to your calendar. Sometimes slapping that man upside the head means you're going to be married to that dingbat for a while. Okay? I mean, my wife's been with me for 37 years. Some of the things still haven't been worked out. Okay? Just saying. All right. So we're characterized by peace. Uh, What else? We are sensitive to his will and his honor. Psalm 69, uh, 9, because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Uh, Wow. We know what happened when uh, Jesus went into the temple and they quote that verse. Uh, The whole point is, is what about you? Doesn't it bother you when people are getting all upset that Roe versus Wade was overturned and therefore it goes to the state where they can actually vote for representatives that would make abortion legal in a state and instead of making it a federally mandated thing that the federal government had absolutely no authority to do, not even the court, when you understand how our system works, okay, it comes back to the state. So live in a state like Illinois, if you want to kill babies. I mean, wow. And if you live in St. Louis, I mean, it's a long drive. Whole point being is we as believers ought to get upset about some of the evil that we see in the world around us. Uh, The thing that bothers me, and and again, I I have a sister who was molested in in a foster home. But the thing that bothers me is we have a flag for minor attracted people. Pedophiles. I'm sorry. There was a judge that actually sentenced a guy to six months in jail. It's a 25-year sentence, minimum. He sentenced him to six months because he had raped an infant. And he didn't hurt the kid. That was what the judge said. We ought to be disgusted. We ought to be praying, God, do justice. In the meantime, I'm going to try and love mercy and walk humbly with my God, you know. I'm not going over there and taking care of business. I expect God will. Hopefully, he might actually bring the two of them to know him because their place in hell is going to be a little bit hotter.
Okay? That, so that's something that ought to characterize us because we love God. How about uh, uh, loves what God loves? <laughs> How about loving God's Word? Uh, Psalm 119.72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. That's a verse you might want to memorize. Psalm 138, verse 2. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come around to your house. Okay? You, uh, God has elevated His Word above His name. So what's important? His Word. It's not that His name isn't important. It's just His Word tells us everything we need to know about Him, how to live, how to, how to be saved. Yeah, we're justified by works after we're justified by faith. You don't got the faith. The works is just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. Okay? Uh, so uh, we love his word. How about his people? First John 4.20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? I know some of the things that I say uh, might slap you in the face a little bit. Not my intention. Uh, but I, I know I rub some people the wrong way. I sure hope you love me anyway. Because uh, some of y'all irritate the living daylights out of me at times. And I still try and love you all the time, too, okay? And I'm not saying anything negative about you. I'm just saying we're people. Iron sharpens iron, okay? What happens when you rub your hands together? They kind of get warm. Well, that's what happens when we're around each other. Uh, we might get warm in the sense of, oh, doesn't that feel good? And we might get warm and look, bud, okay? But that's all part of what God's trying to do. The sandpaper that God is using is going to depend upon you. If you're going to be unteachable, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, probably going to be some rough sandpaper. If you're going to be humble, it's amazing that 220 grain doesn't even bother you so much. But you know something's happening. That's the idea there. Okay? So we love his people. How about we hate what God hates? Uh, first of all, sin in our own life. Uh, you, again, read uh, Romans 7. Uh, you know, I want to do this, and I end up doing the very thing that I hate. And, and he uh, explains it. But how about uh, Matthew uh, 26, 75? And Peter, Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. He realized I did exactly what God told me I wasn't uh, I was going to do, and I told him I wouldn't, and I did it. Okay, uh, so hating our own sin. Uh, how about uh, dealing with the call uh, to believe the gospel? Uh, excuse me, that's uh, I'm in the wrong place there. There we go. How about uh, sin in others? Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're, we're hating their sin and loving them enough to go and try and restore them when they're caught in that sin. Uh, we are also characterized by uh, looking for Christ's return. Second Timothy uh, four eight says, 
Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. You know, do we love the, uh, the fact that the Lord might be coming back because it's getting kind of yucky around here? Or have we always been looking forward to the Lord's coming back? You know, when, when things were good. Uh, now, define good again. Well, Trump was president. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, when we weren't encircled by so much evil so obviously. Were we looking for his uh, return then? Well, God's at least bringing us to a point where we are looking for his return now. How about the person that loves God, obeys God? 1 John 5, 1 and 2. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So this is what it looks like for those who love God, okay? Now, to look at the divine perspective, those who are the called, um, notice the call is necessary because of man's sinful state, uh, Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his, the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Or Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. That's why there, there has to be a call, because left to ourselves, we don't come to God. Now, in uh, Matthew twenty two fourteen, it says, for many are called, but few are chosen, right? Well, in this particular place, the call deals more with the call to believe the gospel. When you get into the epistles, or the word called in the epistles, deals more with the sovereign regenerative work of God in a believer's heart. So Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. We'll look at those a little bit more uh, next week. Uh, in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called called, not of the Jews only, but also uh, of the Gentiles. Now notice in both of those verses, uh, things that he worked out ahead of time. So when we're dealing with the call there, uh, these called people have responded or are going to respond uh, to the gospel, where in Matthew 22, uh, many are called, few are chosen. The invitation is given to everybody. How many come? Only a few. That's the idea there. So uh, the, in the primary sense, the word called uh, deals with the idea of once for all. In the second, uh, secondary sense, uh, it, it continues until glorification. Look, uh, I was called, I, I got saved, once for all, right? 
but I am one of the called. And that calling on my life keeps going right up until I get to see Jesus. Okay? And now it works itself in a different way. Here it's regenerative, and here it's the process of sanctification. But it's because I'm one of the called. Okay? So God works all things together for those who love him, to those who are the called. And the source of this guarantee, it says uh, in 828D, according to his divine purpose. In uh, Romans 9.11, it says, For the children, talking about uh, Jacob and Esau, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Second Timothy 1.9, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Why did God save you? Because you're such a wonderful person. No, according to his divine purpose. Okay? Now that doesn't seem to answer the why for us. But it's because he chose. You're going to be one of the not many's that I'm going to show forth the glory of God by the way I'm going to change you. Okay? So uh, clarification on his purpose. Again, we've already looked at verses 29 through 30 where he's going to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. How about John 1, 12 and 13? But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now notice, not born of blood. So my children were not Christians when they were born. Okay? Mom's a Christian. Dad's a Christian. Kids are born dead sinners. Okay? Uh, So they weren't born Christians because of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. It wasn't through any human effort, nor of the will of man. It wasn't because they decided, yeah, from now on I think I'm going to be a Christian. But they became Christians because God opened their eyes. He's the one that saved them. And in so doing, they became children of God. And then when uh, God uses the same concept in speaking of Israel, Isaiah 46, 9b through 11, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country, indeed I have spoken it, and I also will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will do it. Now, what's so important about that verse? It reminds us, there is nothing given to chance. When things happen in your life, God is the one that has brought that thing. Uh, A verse that a lot of us like to quote, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Context, context, context. You know what the context is? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What's the good and perfect gift? The trial. You're either going to 
look to God for wisdom, or you're going to lean on your own understanding and say, God, why are you doing this to me? And you're going to fall on your face in sin. God knew which one you were going to do. And he's all about the purpose of making you more like Jesus. So you learn to look to him for wisdom. Look to him for grace. And the more you do that, then you're going to be approved. You're going to receive a crown of life as he gives to everyone who loves him. And if you've blown it, well, you put away all that remains of wickedness and you receive with humility the engrafted word and then you be a doer of that word and not a hearer only. And the more you practice that, the more you become like Christ. And that's exactly what he's doing by bringing these trials. All things work together for the good of those, uh, for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Chuck? Yeah, and again, if, uh, it's not a matter of seeing in the sense of, hmm, wonder if they will. It's a matter of refining that faith proving that it's real so that you will be usable by him. Well, with that in mind, let's close in prayer and we'll let you go because the long-winded preacher went six minutes over. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your love, for your care, for the things that you are doing. We recognize, Lord, that the all things means all things. Whether it be President Trump, President Biden, and all the ones that came with them, the World Economic Forum, all things are working together according to your purposes to bring about the things that you're going to bring about. Thank you that in our life it means you're making us more like Jesus. Thank you that in our life it's because you've determined to not only call us, save us, but make us look like him, but also to use us for your honor and glory. We look forward to the day when Jesus will come back. In the meantime, give us wisdom and grace to live for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.